Lauren Paler, and welcome to Currency Exchange in partnership with World Class, brought to you by Diageo. World Class is a leading voice in cocktail culture and exists to inspire people to care about what, where, and how they drink. There is a great opportunity to connect with stories of our past and inner present. There is little value in knowing our history if it is incomplete and narrated in an inauthentic way. Your voice has value, just like currency, and collectively telling our stories will play a vital role in changing the narrative. Now let's introduce this week's episode. In episode three of Currency Exchange, I chat with two hospitality-adjacent individuals, Laura Louise Green and Mary Palak. Laura Louise Green is a licensed professional counselor based in the Chicago area. She has a background in music and hospitality. With her current organization, Healthy Poor, she aims to help communities and organizations within the drinks and hospitality sector to operate to their greatest potential while maintaining healthy and person-centered systems in which people can grow and thrive. Mary Palak is currently an education specialist for the Diageo Hospitality Partnership. She was born in the Philippines but grew up in the Bay Area in California. She has been a part of many organizations such as Tales of the Cocktail, Cat Program, Bar 5 Day, Camp Run Amok, and has even won Speed Rack California. Hello everyone, my name is LP and welcome to episode 3 of Currency Exchange. Today we have a really, really special episode for you. Now normally our episodes feature guests outside of the U.S. Today's bonus episode will actually be interviewing two individuals inside of the U.S. Laura Louise Green, a licensed professional counselor, and Mary Palak for the Diageo Hospitality Partnership. Today's focus will be defining failure and success and really leaning into how those definitions and factors affect that the way we live our day-to-day lives. So why don't we get into it? I'm really excited to chat with both of you. Um, and I think the best way to start is to just define those words. How do you define failure and how do you define success? Um, I think failure for me, um, as devastating, it, it, it kind of sounds, it's a very devastating word, right? Failure, no one wants to fail. Um, but uh, as I've grown up, and uh, especially in this industry, I really learned to embrace failure as an opportunity to grow every single time. In the moment when we are failing, it doesn't feel like that. Um, it hurts. Um, it makes us, you know, we're filled with shame and guilt for not um, <clears throat> not achieving what we thought we were going to. But always in retrospect for me, failure is an opportunity to grow and be better. Um, whereas on the opposite end, like success is um, really interesting because I think we equate success with achievement and a very linear path. And mm-hmm. that's no longer the case for me. I don't necessarily equate success with achievement as much as I do with, um, I, I kind of um, associate success more now with fulfillment. Like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't this 
it's not necessarily this bar that I was supposed to hit or this trophy I was supposed to win. It's about, did I feel like I did my best? Did I grow from this opportunity or whatever it is? And am I, you know, it, did it make me feel good? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I would. Then... Sorry, go ahead, LP. No, no, you can. Go. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, I would agree with what you said, especially emphasizing the subjective piece of what failure and success is. I think so often we take someone else's definition of failure or success and insert it into our own, whereas that's not, um, that, that becomes something else. I also think, when I think about failure, I think about it as being a word, like failure is a word that describes a situation of something that happened like this didn't work, something that I tried didn't work, or this device experienced a failure, um, which means that it's only situational and only temporary, because eventually the failure is no longer failure because it transitions and it transforms into something else. I think we make, um, we do ourselves a disservice sometimes when we make failure the word we use the word failure to describe something longer than it actually is that it is a forever failure which isn't true it's only situational only confined to a singular moment and then it transforms into opportunity it transforms into learning but i mean in the same token success is you know <clears throat> excuse me success is like such a different we see it again as this, like something to rise to, something achieved, something that once we hit it, it's over. Whereas I think success, just like failure, is such a temporary thing because our needs change, we grow. Um, you know, if you talked to me when I was 18, success would have meant one thing, and now it means something totally different to me. It means something totally different to me now than it did before the pandemic. So it's our responsibility, I think, as human beings who need to care for ourselves to constantly be assessing, you know, purpose and what failure looks like, what success looks like, and how we transform those things into whatever the future holds for us. Oh, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, something I personally have been like experiencing, and, and it's a term that's come up a lot, I think, over the last year, uh, this term imposter syndrome. Okay. Um, I think it's something <laughs> that, yeah, I, I, Laura, I'm seeing your face right now, Mary, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because when we, when we, as an individual who, who's looking at both of you, I, I see such great success and, you know, the failures are so minute, they're so irrelevant because of all the great, the greatness that's associated with the work that you're both respectively doing. Um, so the question I have in regards to this is, that 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 perception in regards to the status, the external, right, versus the internal and what we are dealing with when it comes to success and failure and imposter syndrome and all those things. In your day to day, how do you like overcome that? Because it's something that I feel is just surfacing for me more and more as I, you know, transition from this role of bartender to this now back of house role being, you know, doing prep, and it's just an unfamiliar space. Um, it, well, it's really interesting for me having 
come up in the industry in a city like San Jose that gets absolutely no spotlight. Now they are, <laughs> but like, um, you know, having San Francisco so close and it was, it was, it was real important to me, real starting out in this industry to get whatever limelight and spotlight I could for me personally. Cause I was like, you know, I know I'm just as good as these star tenders and all that stuff. And you know, that, that perception was real important to me. Now, after everything our industry has been through, after everything I've personally been through, um, it's, it's a, it's a very different feeling for me, um, how people, like how I want people to perceive me. And that's also kind of comes with the territory of getting acknowledgement and getting some recognition. Um, now that, you know, I've, I've, I've been highlighted in some things, nominated for some awards. I've found I wanted to shrink backwards. Like, mm. Mm, I don't, I don't actually want that. What, <laughs> because it, with that comes this, this immense pressure and it kind of speaks to how we treat our leaders and not just in this industry in general, we deify the people we look mm. up to. And, and yeah. th- in that in itself is, yeah. And it dehumanizes yeah. us and it terrifies yes. me, <laughs> you know, terrifying. It's, it's terrifying whenever, like, it's so cool. Like when I was first starting, I was so cool when people would post like my picture or I get hit posted in an article or whatever. That's all oh, so cool. Like such, you know, it was such a, an honor. It was, it, and it still is, it really still is. But at the same time, I know that that is like, you know, the whole like glacier syndrome that those little, those, those highlight are literally just highlights. They are the tip of the iceberg. It, whereas I, you know, um, when I think when um, I first got nominated for like American Bartender of the Year, I would joke with people because this is how I would feel. I'm not even the best bartender in my establishment, you know, <laughs> let alone. Mm in this country because I know and I know and feel that because I know who my team is and I know who you know I know the kind of people I've seen out there um so it's especially after this pandemic it's it's so different Uh, and I think the biggest thing is because I have um perspective now because we've we've all suffered so much loss and so much trauma that it's well it's still really good and it's still really great to have people say really nice things or, or believe in you in a certain way. Um, I mean, today in my everyday, it's like, you know, what am I doing to survive and take care of myself? And that's enough. Mary, you brought so many, you brought up so many things and my brain is like spinning out of control. (laughs) Where do I I even begin with response? Because you brought up, you brought up stuff about scarcity. You brought up stuff about um, merit and stuff about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like acknowledgement and um, contribution and gosh, the dehumanization of our leaders. You just said that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it it almost like you, you verbalize maybe some fears that I have coming into the position that I'm building around healthy poor and, you know, that once you put yourself, once you put yourself out there, your image, your, you know, quote brand is there for anyone to do with what they will. And it's, 
that's a scary thing when you're when you've attached your humanity to something that will only just swiftly be dehumanized. And it's like that's um that's a big thing. Um, you know, it, when I think about that in terms of imposter syndrome, like over the last year, um, I I mean, in the way that I was taught imposter syndrome, and I think the way that we all were taught imposter syndrome is that it's you deserve to be in a space and you are qualified and credentialed to be in a space, but you don't feel like you should be in that space. And something that's changed for me and how I define and approach imposter syndrome is that, yes, you deserve to be in that space. Yes, you're qualified to be in that space, but there's something about that space that you're in, be it a community, be it a workspace, behind the bar, wherever, on a panel, wherever, that is oppressive and doesn't, there's something happening within that space that is asking you to fracture your wholeness and become like only a partial piece of yourself. And that's when the imposter bit comes in because you don't feel like your wholeness is enough. And that's not, you know, I don't, and I, this is something that I'm actually working through. It'll be fun to listen back to this in a few years to see where I, I land with imposter syndrome. But that's something that I'm like, well, all of this literature, all of these articles are like how to, how to fix your imposter syndrome, what you can do to fix your imposter syndrome. And I've been really kind of criticizing those a lot lately because I'm like, no, the imposter syndrome is happening because of oppressive spaces and oppressive structures. That's where it's coming from. But now... I'm at this, and, just, and I still, I believe that, absolutely. So I think it's up to the spaces to change. It's up for the community to change so that people don't experience imposter syndrome. But I do think that while those spaces and communities change, there might be a little bit of a hangover of imposter syndrome that even when you do enter a space that is um, celebratory of your wholeness, of your entire personhood, that there's still that traumatic fear that comes up of like, I, I'm, I'm going, I can't speak up entirely. I can't, you know, I can't share my sexuality. I can't, um, I can't bring my culture into what it is that I'm trying to do because, you know, when, so then that's a lot of healing, but then as I'm talking myself out of it, I'm like, well, then that's still up to the space to mm -hmm. really ensure that that, is something that everybody, can, people can bring their entire selves, their entire identity, their complete wholeness to it. I mean, in the, context, in the context of what that means for success, then, I mean, success is a balance of what you feel, the contentment that you feel in the work that you're doing, and that self-esteem bit of how the group, how the community is measuring how, you're, how much you're contributing. So it is kind of a push and pull of the social and the individual. And I think as we fall, kind of coming back to what you said about the um, the dehumanization of leadership, as we as we as people are maybe thrust into these community leadership positions or insert ourselves into those positions, we are risking that wholeness of ourselves on such a broad level that it makes it scary. Oh, that I that was one hundred like you have like we are like our minds are in, in the same space. I'm like, the wholeness, that's what it is. It really is. It's like this, like we are not, a, it's that fear of being the whole self, even mm -hmm. including our problematic selves, right? Like, yes, yes, 
including <laughs> our mistakes, including the mm -hmm. things, because we are, I mean, we are, because we are human and because we live in a society, we all have something in us, bias, problematic thing mm -hmm. that will eventually surface. Um, and it, and it then because that of that pedestal we, we put our leaders on, uh, when they fall, they fall, fall real hard. And, yeah, um, exactly. I think it's, it's a great point. I think there's a piece of that too, is that accepting ourselves. I mean, we want to feel like we're accepted as a whole person within these spaces. We all want to feel that. Like that's, that's a human drive that we have. We want to contribute. We don't, you know, it's the difference between we don't want to labor, but we want to contribute. And sometimes that means we labor and that's where also work exploitation comes into stuff. But um, it's also really hard on an individual level to see ourselves as a whole person with those flaws, with those things that are mm -hmm. not as, as desirable or where we don't want to be or what we deem, I mean, coming back to the podcast, successful or we are failing at that or whatever. So we make examples out of our leaders. You know, and I think that there is a difference between holding people accountability, uh, holding people accountable and making examples of them, you know, yeah, so that we don't have to yeah. think about our own stuff. Um, but, oh, that is, yeah, that, oh, I wish we were in the room, <laughs> I would hug you. <laughs> no, yeah, these, these are valid points and, you know, I think also, so there were a couple things that happened this past year, right? We obviously had a lot more time to, for self-reflection, had a lot more time to engage in issues um, and topics that were, were relevant or irrelevant to us, or just like that we felt we wanted to get involved in. And at least for me, what it forced me to do was really look within myself to, to decide what part I play in the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, and more importantly, for me at least, it, it allowed me to lean into things and be a part of things that I didn't necessarily originally identify as. So like, I was Lauren bartender. Now I am Lauren social activist. Now I'm Lauren health and wellness advocate. And now I'm Lauren Silver Lion, you know, R&D, whatever you call it, prep person. And it's a hat, I'm, these are all hats that while I I love being a part of them, are still very unfamiliar for Lauren Palis, how, how I was comfortable a year and somewhat months ago. And I think that's really why that imposter, that imposter syndrome is like setting in. And it's not even a word, I think, a year and a half ago, I would have even felt that I could relate to. Um, mm. So it's interesting how these conversations and these issues, you know, make it something that's super relevant now. And so much of it is about self-trust and, and the healing, like, you know, I've kind of been on, I not, let's not call it a tirade, but there's another word for it that someone listening to this is going to be like, this is the word, but I've been on, a, I've been pushing a lot that, you know, because you've experienced trauma, because something has happened to you, that wasn't your fault, but it's your responsibility to heal it. And I mean, there I come back to the, the onus of being on the individual for imposter syndrome, but still it's, um, there is healing that has to come because it came from yeah. some sort of micro trauma or larger trauma at some point. And um, that, that healing bit 
and trusting yourself to be like, I do deserve to be in this room. And then trusting yourself to the point to look around the room and say, maybe this isn't a room I want to be in. And then walking away from it, you know, like maybe this isn't a room that really sees what I have to give. Maybe they, they have me here for reasons why I don't want to be here, you know, like, and trusting that piece of yourself to know yourself enough to be able to walk away. But I mean, coming back to the success and failure bit, sometimes walking away from things feels like a failure when it's really not. It's probably likely pretty tremendous success, you know? And yes, uh, yes to all of that. I feel that like, uh, you know, in 2020, I said yes to a lot of things. I was doing all of these seminars and all of these podcasts and I was being featured in all these articles and I kind of got to a point where I was like, none of that really matters to me. Like, I'm going to just mm-hmm. say no because, you know, having that work-life balance is way more important than being featured in that article because, you know, maybe that that work doesn't really align with who I am as a person and I don't really need the money and, you know, I'm not willing to compromise, you know, my image because of a fat paycheck and it... <laughs> Again, saying no to those opportunities may, or not being as featured as much, may be perceived as a failure. But ultimately, I'm I'm moving, I'm becoming more aligned with who I am as a person, becoming more aligned with, you know, the work that I'm meant to do, and that that ultimately makes me happy and fulfilled, um, mm-hmm. and that is making an impression in other ways and in, in other respects. Um, and I'd much rather be doing that. So. So I appreciate you both for saying all those things. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so what are what part do pride and humility play in who you both are today? Um, I know this is something that you both discussed uh, a lot here and there, and I'd I'd like to you know just really lean into that a little bit. Um, humility is an interesting thing. I think that when I was um, growing up in a, you know, in a, uh, an immigrant Asian family, humility was a big thing. <laughs> like, um, we were always very grateful for anything we got, you know, um, and I still feel, I feel that sometimes whenever, and it's funny when we were talking about saying like, yes or no to things, whenever, anytime someone asks me to participate in things that involve those leaders that you know we always look up to and stuff I get you know I'm I'm instantly humbled and like honored and all that and all that jazz and um and I think now and kind of touching on that whole imposter syndrome I'm now and, and this this only comes from growth and this only comes from healing and learning more about myself but I am in a in a much better place um, with myself nowadays to recognize what I bring to the table and what I can contribute. And that I think that 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 comes more towards to the pride of it. Um, but it's more like it's less a pride in me in me or any of my accomplishments or anything I've done. It's more of a pride in what I can do, like what I know I am capable of. Um, and it's it's interesting because it also makes me a little bit more critical of uh, what I do want. Like you're saying, like picking what you actually want to participate in. Um, 
so I think like whereas before the humility of it was like yes I want you know I'm so gracious and I still am I'm still grateful for every opportunity that's ever been presented to me um I'm so I'm always grateful when people think of me um but I also know what's what's going to be best for me what's going to fit best for me and what I can do my best in about you Laura yeah I'm I mean when you said you said something along the lines of like being in being in a room or being in a space of like the these industry leaders and the, the, the humility that comes with this and it reminded me of when like I, I'll, I'll give a specific moment so I was like bartending going to school to be a therapist really pumping the brakes on my beverage career, did not want to be known. I didn't want to be in magazines. You know what I mean? Like I would join these bar programs and sometimes you, sometimes you would take a job because they have a strong PR company. And I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take those jobs mostly because I wanted to be a therapist and I didn't want, I didn't want my clients seeing me. Uh, you know what I mean? I just didn't, I didn't want any of that. But then I decided to do mental health and hospitality. And the next thing I know, I went from being an inconsequential, I'm, I'm saying that as truly as a judgment of how I felt about myself, not to say that's what I was, but from a, like a run-of-the-mill bartender, beverage manager, to being on the Tales of the Cocktail Education Committee. And I'm looking around the room, and I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> what is going on right now? And introducing myself to people, and I'm like, I only did the tales once, and you know, it was just like it was just a, it was a wild thing. But I had some healing to do because I felt myself shrinking myself, and I had some healing to do within the context of that of saying, "Okay, Laura, why are you here? You are here in this room because you have." I'm going to sound like Liam. Uh, what's his name? Liam Neeson. You have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> but that's why I was like, I'm in this room, not because I've been on a magazine, not because none of those things have happened for me still, like, which is fine. Cool with that. Very cool with that. But I'm here because I have a skill that I can give to my community to ensure that certain programming within this conference is safe and sound. And that's why I'm here. And I absolutely deserve to be here. I'm serving a purpose contributing to my community and I serve a role within this group. And there is both pride and humility within that realization. Like they're this, they're, it's like the same two sides of the same coin in that way. I'm very proud to be there. I'm very proud, very proud that I'm, my voice is being heard and I'm able to give that, but on the other hand, there's humility in that because I'm looking around the room of people who I consider to be giants and innovators and, you know, <laughs> all of that. Um, so pride and humility, I, I will also say to the point of humility, um, I don't think that any of us can do any sort of work on ourselves unless we have some kind of humility like the and that humility within our what we would call our success and humility even certainly within what we would call our failure 
you know, um, being able to, I mean, it, to embark on that work that it's like, I'm going to look at my whole self. I'm going to look at my whole self and I'm going to see like, oh, these are my growing edges. <laughs> oh, I haven't wanted to open that box for a while, <laughs> you know, and that takes both humility and courage and strength at the same time. Um, and then being proud even of what you find in that box and saying, all right, that's either going to stay or it's going to be transformed. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned something like two sides of these coins. I think that we, we obviously were taught this as children, that these are opposites, right? Like pride, humility, failure, and success. We are, we are taught this very linear divide, um, but none of these kind of elements of ourselves are mutually exclusive at all. You know, often our successes come after years of failure. <laughs> <laughs> Often, Absolutely. You know, this is so I, I people like think about like I think when people maybe maybe like ask people have asked me uh, about certain achievements I've gotten like how did you do that I'm like well it took years yeah. you know it took literal years of people saying no and then someone said yes um so I think like that's that's something to really think about is that none of these terms are mutually exclusive of one another. And they're, it's not like you have one without the other. You, it, you have both all the time. I agree. I agree. But even something you just said, where you said in regards to failure, you were like, it took years of people saying no for me to get yeses. And I think that that really brings up the internal external failure. Like, how do we define it? Is it being denied opportunities or is it something that's within our control which is another thing I think that we need to consider how we define those words which is why we talked about it at the beginning right um because it's so important it's so important all right so I have one last question for both of you I want to discuss an event it could be a success a failure however you want to define it that undoubtedly shaped the person you are um today is there any monumental moment that occurred um that you can recall that in the moment well, you didn't necessarily think, you know, would be significant that allowed you to be able to do the work that you're doing today? Um, well, I feel like it, it was pretty significant in both failure and success. <laughs> and that was speed rack. Yeah. And that was like, we talked a little bit about this. And uh, I mean, I, I've had like job failures and not getting the opportunities, applying for different programs and not getting into it, but really, um, it took me three years to, to win the California speed rack. And the first two years, even though I lost and lost in kind of like, not embarrassing ways or anything, but I was like messy or I just messed up a, you know, like to me in the moment, it felt like a real failure. Um, every year I got real, I got stronger and the year that I won, I was so relaxed because I was training other girls. That was the first year I started training other girls in my community. Oh. And it, <laughs> and yeah, this, is one of the this, is, this is one of those things. It was the first time. So the, the, the year that I won was the first year that I got two other girls from San Jose and California is a beast. And it, it's all, all, all these ladies from San Francisco and LA, they are friggin' phenomenal. And uh, they're some of my dearest friends, but you know, I was the first year that I was training other women. So it was less about me 
that pressure was less about me. You know, I mean, just on myself. And I was trying because I was because I had some energy energy trying to get these other people to succeed. It lessened that burden on me, and I was able to be really confident in my skills at that time. Um, and yeah, that I, and I, I've ever since then I have found that that when when I've made it just about me, I'm not nearly as successful as when I've turned it out and made it about us. When I make it about someone other than just me, even if it's me included, that's great. But if it was like including my bar or my city or my community or like my heritage, that's when I found the most success. That made me like well up a little bit. <laughs> It was like, I literally had, that was an aha moment. Like winning, that was an aha moment. This is what it took. It didn't take like me torturing myself and practice and or miss over mistakes. It took me opening up to, so that like this other side of me like relaxed and like was like, you know what? You are so good at this that you can teach others to do this and you got this, you got this, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. So for me, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was going to use this, but I will. Um, it, it, I've been working in hospitality for almost, almost two decades, but prior to 2010, it was, you know, I used it as a job just to get from gig to gig. I was a working actor and then I joined a rock band and we signed to Atlantic Records and it was like, rock band. it's so cool. It's, it's so, it's, it's so weird. It's such a, I mean, when we talk about trauma, actually, there's usually like the trauma, a big life trauma is a break. It's like a turning the page of a new chapter. Like there's a blank page and then there's a new page of the chapter. There's always before it and there's after. And this was that, this was that moment in my life for sure. 25, 26. I had just gotten married. I was in this rock band on Atlantic Records. I was going on these tours with famous people. Rivers Cuomo gave me like the, el or the chin how you doing once? And I was like, well, I've arrived, you know, like it was, you know, it was such a interesting time in my life. And it, at the time I remember thinking I've done it. All of my dreams have come true. Everything's happening the way I wanted it to, you know, at like 24, 25 years old, which is wild, but then it ended in a big, fiery ball of flame and my husband left me and I wasn't in the band anymore and there were lawyers involved and it was a big interpersonal explosion and this massive like social trauma but it was all tied in with my identity and what I defined as success and the fact that I landed at a bar you know it was a bar that was a craft bar fresh juices you know 2010 right at like when it was becoming I mean, they were still like, it was still early adopter, but like at the tilt of every bar started to have a craft program here in Chicago anyway. And um, I landed back at a bar and I was like, I'm an absolute failure. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like I had no sense of identity at that point or anything. And over time though, through healing and stuff, I realized that I was absolutely miserable in that life of touring and being in a rock band. And I loved music and storytelling, but I didn't really want to be performing, you know, and that was a hard thing to separate. 
And I loved my ex-husband, but he wasn't the partner I needed in my life either. So what felt like these really, oh, just terrible, traumatic, all of it was, you know, I have a, a sign, a, a sign, a piece of art in my house that says it's only when we lose everything that we're free to do anything. And that experience brought me to see a therapist. And that experience brought me to hospitality where I had a community that was so willing to support me, like a band of pirates, you know, and then that experience with them brought me to go to school to be a therapist. And all of it contributed to where I am in this moment right now. So, you know, looking back, I could say like, at the time, if you would have spoken to me 10 years ago, I would have, you know, just felt like such a failure. You know, I even had classmates say to me, like, well, not about all of us can cut performance. Like, not all of us can be, you know, actors and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I kind of did it already. And I decided I didn't want to do it. And it's, yeah. I think within that, like, all of that being said and coming here, like, that experience has made me a better manager when I was managing teams. It's, definitely impacted what I do with healthy poor and my thinking around this like it got me into studying group dynamics in a you know in a fringe career space and and all of that but you know in terms of the success and failure it's at the end of the day it's all about the framing and the narrative that you tell yourself and how you begin to move forward from there you know I want to take 25 year old Laura and hug her and be like this is the greatest failure of your life so far enjoy it because now you can be anything you know so yeah yeah you know I think those are oh my gosh the stories are so amazing and vastly different but you know obviously they've provided you with a path that you walk now and it's just it's so amazing when we can like reflect on those experiences because the way we perceive them in the moment and then what they end up being years later and I'm sure in 10 more years Laura and Mary, you, you both might look at those situations and perceive them completely differently, which is beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. Amazing. So is there anything else you want to leave the folks who are listening? Um, I will just, I, I just wanted to say, um, especially in our industry, whatever you think a successful career is, it is not, it is not a linear growth. Just think of that. Mm -hmm. It is often it's more like a wave of highs and lows and wherever you are right now in your career it's that's where you're supposed to be so don't sweat where you think you should have been by now because I did I spent like a decade doing that don't do that you you know as long as you're happy and taking care of yourself that to me is successful I agree. yeah I will I will absolutely echo that, but, you know, um, we are, <laughs> they, this is going to sound so lame. I feel like, I feel like an after school special saying this, but like, stay true to yourself, you know, like truly stay true to yourself. And when you make decisions, ask yourself, like, why, 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 why am I making this decision and go deep into that? Why? Like, why am I deciding to take this job? Why am I deciding to move to this city? Um, it's no, it's the know thyself thing. And it might look like, who was it? Oh my gosh. It was, I think Ralph Waldo Emerson 
who wrote self-reliance that he would talk about like if you're on a sail if you're on a, a sailboat and it's tacking and it looks like it's going way this way and then it turns and it goes way this way and it turns it goes way this way but it's following the wind to get to the place that it needs to go but if you were to look at it from an aerial standpoint it's a straight line you know like that self-reliance piece I think is so important when we're talking about success and failure and making decisions about career and life and everything that you really got to do what's right for yourself something <laughs> my decision making model looks like this um is it dope will it lead to dope things and does it not harm anyone <laughs> i love that is yes dope? <laughs> no. the dope because is, is it dope or is it going to lead or is it going to lead to dope things because some things we have to do don't feel super dope but it's going to lead to the next dope thing that we need to do and so you know, just, yeah, just be true to yourself. <laughs> Ding. <I love> it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So every episode, I always close with a cocktail inspired by the conversation. So for this conversation, we're going to a beautiful highball that has a little saltiness, a little sweetness, you know, all the sweetness and sourness in life. Um, so it's single tin, one ounce of single tin, two ounces of Pinot Sherry, two ounces of coconut water, and a quarter ounce of simple syrup over ice with a beautiful lemon wheel and its deliciousness. Um, you should all make that after listening to this conversation and enjoy. Uh, it's one of my favorite drinks. And uh, that's like right in my I, wheelhouse. I, that sounds good. I know. I, know. <laughs> I have a bottle so of good. I'm like reaching, looking at my shelf. I'm like, yep, single tin right there. I'm going to go. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Um, well, I appreciate you both coming on and chatting with me today. It was so lovely Thank talking you. to you both. Thank a, you so much. That was such a fun conversation. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you for listening to the Currency Exchange podcast. To learn more about Currency Exchange, World Class, or Diageo, visit fohealth.org backslash currency dash exchange.